Welcome to Transform Now, the podcast brought to you by robotic process automation pioneer, SSNC Blue Prism. Digital transformation has the potential to reshape the way companies service their customers, engage their employees, and manage their operations. Whether you're looking to develop strategies, tactics, or best practices to positively impact the future of work, or you're curious to see how other companies have successfully navigated their digital transformation programs, then this podcast is for you. We're here to help you transform now. Hello, everyone. I'm Michael Marchuk. Welcome to the Transform Now podcast. Our guest on this episode is an industry visionary, Frank Casale. Frank is a dynamic guy who's been writing the cutting edge of trends for over 20 years. Frank's insights into what's next have allowed him not only to see what's next, but help to define it along with his massive network of extremely bright people. Frank has been involved in the RPA and AI industries for over a decade now, having founded the Institute for RPA and AI back in 2013. We are very excited to be able to chat with Frank today about his insights into where AI is headed and how businesses can create some amazing outcomes with these technologies. Welcome, Frank. Hey, pleasure to be here, Michael. I look forward to our discussion today. And thank you for referring to me as dynamic. I'm I already, my posture is already better. We have a better You're day. taller now. Yes. <laughs> as I understand it, you started off in outsourcing. How did you make the transition into automation and AI from there? Yeah, it almost seems like I made a career shift, but it actually is an extension because if you think of the outsourcing model, which is basically labor arbitrage, it was always about labor. And, and that's still where I'm not limited to that focus, but it's it tend, I tend to be focused on reinventing how work gets done, right? So if you think about the early 90s, outsourcing was the big thing. It was information technology outsourcing, then expansive business process outsourcing and other things. But at the end of the day, it was about labor arbitrage, right? How do you get from on onshore to offshore and how do you reduce the cost of, of labor? And that worked for about a decade and a half or so, but it became apparent to me as the founder of the Outsourcing Institute and having the good fortune of being at the center of this network, it became clear to me that model, the math behind that model was beginning to wear thin in that both the buy side and the sell side were struggling to make it work. So I began to keep an eye out for what's next. And, uh, and for years I, I didn't see, and I wasn't sure if it was going to be a new business model or some new piece of technology, but, and then I, I stumbled across RPA. Um, uh, quite honestly, it was, uh, it was through an outsourcing conference that we were doing. And uh, somebody wanted to speak about this thing called robotic process automation. It was relatively new to my event manager. So he called me up and said, Hey, this guy wants to speak about RPA has nothing to do with outsourcing, but he's a friend of yours. And so we probably don't want to hurt his feelings. So why don't you speak with him? So I spoke to, to uh, this person and I was dazzled with what it was. And I felt that RPA would be the beginning, would be maybe the first step on a path that would be an alternative to a labor arbitrage. And it, and that's when I really got excited a couple of months into some due diligence. And I launched for the only the second time in my life, I launched another institute model, another global ecosystem. And as I like to say, we got lucky again because we launched it. And uh, before everyone was coming to us, it was the new thing. Yes, it was. It is. <laughs> it continues to change. Like you said, AI it's not new, but we're seeing some massive changes in the way that organizations are seeing AI, especially since September, or I guess November of 2022, when OpenAI released their ChatGPT 3.0 to the masses. Was this just fortunate timing or something changed? Oh my goodness. How do I answer this question? 
I am a bit exasperated by the Gen AI haters out there. There's a small handful. The slice of the pie is shrinking weekly, which is good. Uh, I think people that are not sure if this is the latest bit of hype or if this is real. And my feeling is all you have to do is look at the use cases, right? This, we're not talking about something that will work or deliver impact in the future. If you go back to last year, there were use cases last year, use cases in sales and marketing and research and HR, and they continue. So this is, although this is futuristic tech, use cases, the impacts are real. So what's different? There's a technological explanation for that, but I would tell you the biggest, I would say the best answer to that question is that it's powerful, it's versatile, and it's virtually free, right? So if you th if you go back even four or five years, if you wanted to launch an AI-based business, it, you needed a couple million bucks and a couple of years to get anywhere. Those days are gone. So that's traditional AI, ML, traditional, right? It was big, it was clunky, it took a long time, it required a lot of specialized expertise and a whole bunch of money. I know I've been there, friends might have been there, people might never have been there. Now you have a situation where somebody referred to as AI's iPhone moment. So there you go. So now anybody and everybody could do it. So the biggest difference I see now is that anybody can get into the game, which is wonderful. So if you're in HR, you have an idea, go for it. You want to launch a business? You want to launch a side hustle? You're, you're working within an enterprise and you want to be able to experiment and dabble, maybe some rapid prototyping on some things? You could do that. If you think about something like this, that it's gone from a million, millions of dollars to suddenly for 20 bucks a month, you can get in and play around. And nobody in their wildest dreams, including an optimist like me, would have predicted this. I think, as you said, it, it is, it's evolving so rapidly and the use cases are becoming very apparent to people who are starting to dabble with and play with it. But we're actually seeing some other evolutionaries I and mean, we're seeing the advent of intelligent, autonomous agents. They're getting folks in the business very excited. Is this like the next evolution of intelligent automation, you know, RPA and AI natural evolution process? No, yeah. You must have, you've done your homework for this interview, Michael, because I, I mentioned recently in a post that that is number one on my list as to what's next and the real game changer, because I supposedly coined a term about 11 years ago, digital labor. I think I did, but it's no big deal. I should have taken a picture of myself with a newspaper. And okay. Oh. Somebody like a hostage me. situation? Yeah, exactly. That's what I was thinking. Not the hostage photo. But, uh, but the reason I say that is because I felt at that point, maybe I hoped, but I predicted at that point that there would come a time where this technology back then was simple RPA, right? Simple, I would say, dumb automation of a task. And I said to offend my friends in the RPA business, but let's say simple automation of a task or a subtask to full-blown, intelligent adaptive, versatile, continuous learning, automation, and AI. I felt that at some point it would shift from software that was supporting a knowledge worker to software that would replace the knowledge worker, would, be a, would actually be that knowledge worker. So think of a digital consultant, digital salesperson, digital marketing person, digital therapist. So when, as I began to learn more about generative AI, I say, I think we're here. There's just a lot we can do. But as I stumbled across this concept of intelligent, autonomous agents, if you will, I said to myself, no, that's actually, this is really it. Because if you think about anything prior to this concept of autonomous agents, the software is awesome and it does a lot of cool things, but it's only on when you're there. That's not really, so if you think of a member of your team, 
if you hired me, Mike, and I worked for you, and on a Monday you spoke with me, and then you were traveling, and then you came back on a Thursday, and you say, hey, Frank, how's it going? I didn't do anything because you didn't call me, tell me what to do. I think I'd probably be fired my first week, but you seem like a nice guy. So you'd probably give me a second week. You'd give me one more week to screw up. But my point is AI, whether traditional or even gen AI, is more reactive and responsive. So you, it's like that scenario I just gave you. It is awesome. But if you go on vacation, likely nothing is happening. Autonomous agents are closer to labor. It's closer to digital labor. Because you could literally call the team in and say, everybody, happy Monday. Everybody, here's what we're going to do. Have a seat. And here's what we're going to do this week, right? Frank, you do this. Michael's going to do this. Susan's going to do this. Catherine's going to do that. Ready? Go. Boom. Hey, you come back on Friday and stuff's happening. Now, even more so, if you think of it, if you expand it, you could not only leverage these agents to work individually, but to work in unison or collaboratively. And then expand to one concentric circle out and we're closer than ever to this concept of an intelligent autonomous enterprise. Now, I would say enterprise like Fortune 500, that's a big leap. But startups, absolutely. I think you'll see this wave of startups where it's a whole bunch of agents and very little, if any, people and uh, or no people at all. So think about what was a buzz only a year and a half ago, a concept of a DAO, a decentralized autonomous organization. Think of a DAO without crypto. That, that makes sense to me. I had I spoke with another uh, our, our longtime friend from McKinsey who had written a book recently. And uh, his concept behind it is that no one starts businesses now thinking, how many people should I be hiring? They're thinking about what kind of technology I can have to avoid adding people unless I absolutely have to have people there. There's no reason why you'd want to start people, hire 50 people to start with. Build a platform. Oh, I agree. The only modification I would make to that is most people still are doing that just because they're either unaware of the capabilities, they're not like you and I in the game, or they get it, but they're fearful. And, and you have to have empathy for that, right? So nobody wants to be the first. But are we approaching the time? I would say, from the standpoint of, of autonomous agents, I'm not confident today. I would not be confident today to pull that off. But by year end, based on the rate of advancements, I think, I think this is the year that we begin to tiptoe into autonomous age and zone. And you just start to see, I think it'll be more bottoms up. I think you'll see more of the startup community, people taking risks and things. Very exciting. And that has all sorts of ramifications in the marketplace as to small company versus big, even the play, evening the playing field, the role of VCs, scalability. That's, there'll be no shortage of books and conferences dedicated to the impact of autonomous agents. Very exciting. It is very exciting. So you kind of alluded to this, but as these organizations are seeing these technology changes and the rapid advances you have, you're talking, hey, by the end of the year, it's going to look different than it looked from the beginning of 2023. How can organizations effectively plan and prepare their people for the onslaught of these kind of technology solutions? Do you sense my breathing pattern change right there? <laughs> I would say, on one hand, I would say we've been here before, right? So we've had these discussions in the industry with outsourcing. We had it with the internet. We had it with cloud. And we had it with RPA. And RPA really being the, the beginning of that tipping point of introducing people the are the possible. I would say every organization is going to do it differently. Um, I am, although I am an optimist, I'm a realist as well. 
I think most organizations will probably stumble um, because it's too new, it's too dramatic, and it's moving too quickly. Even if they say, hey, Frank, you think you're a know-it-all. You are now the CEO of this company. For the next six months, I'd probably screw it up as well. It's just, so I don't have the answer. I don't know if I have the answer. I think what I would recommend is you rely on a handful of textbook strategies. Number one, leadership needs to embrace it. They need to communicate to people what this is and where the company's going and really what's happening, whatever that is. Uh, there will be a net loss of jobs. So you can't make believe there will not be, but it's likely, as I predict, it will be a net loss of jobs in certain areas. I think for the companies that do this right, it will be significant net gain in jobs in other areas. Because as you yeah. become more lean and successful and grow, you're still going to need, right? Now, where is everything in 10 years? That's a different discussion. But for the short term, it's let's get out in front because it's only going to be ugly if we just sit back and wait to see what happens. I think you will see many companies struggle, and I think you'll see many leaders struggling. You'll see companies that are number one, number two, number three in their particular vertical being replaced. I think it's, I think in the next couple of years will be, will be a time where we'll see small mid-market companies that embrace the new technology and have the right leadership and they get going and just watch them go. Scalability, not just scalability, but I also say elasticity. If you think about it, many industries are cyclical, right? If you're in, if you're in industries that have to do with travel or have to do with any sort of cycle, retail, if you will, it's tough to be elastic when you have static uh, labor force. So you have okay. to bring in a bunch of temps, you have to boot them out after the holidays and things like that. If you're 1-800-Flowers and you got Valentine's Day coming up, those are challenges. Now they've cracked the code on that, but it's still a challenge. When things become digital and you embrace digital labor, just think of having a dimmer switch that you could turn any which way you want, depending on what's happening that season, that day, that week. You can scale up, scale down, shift left, shift It's busy in the U.S., up, it's busy in Europe now, it's slower in the U.S. It's a whole different way of launching and running a business, if that makes sense, Michael. It's a good way to put it. So. When you have these organizations who are looking to do their innovations and looking to grow, they are starting to embrace the technology. Um, how can they balance the governance or the regulation of Gen AI along in balance with the innovation that they want to go for? Because I think there, there's a lot of stuff that's been moving really quickly now. How can organizations balance that that kind of approach? First of, I don't think I think the majority. Of the, if history repeats itself, the majority of the companies will use this latest wave of tech, not for innovation, although I'd love them to, because I'm big on innovation and I have a startup I just launched. It's totally focused on leveraging AI for innovation. I think the majority of, I think the majority of the players out there will use it for around efficiencies, right? A fancy consulting term for reducing costs. And that's okay, but you get started. You start with tactical things that are measurable. So I think that's what where they will go to see. As to, uh, as to governance, you have two things. You have the internal challenge of how do we govern this new stuff? Then you have the external challenge of compliance and regulatory world, which is, it seems to be evolving. It's going to be tougher for, if you're a regulated industry, for sure. So if you're a bank or insurance company or utility company or something like that, it will be challenging. I think the companies that will have the most leeway will be, again, small companies in non, uh, uh, regulated areas 
mid-market companies. And I think the bigger the company and or the more regulated they are, the slower moving they will be. So those, if they're regulated, they have that thing. If they're just big and non-regulated, you still just have the inertia issue. You just still have the inertia issue. If you look at how most of the RPA be, uh, uh, played out in companies, it was not top-down, it was bottoms-up, which a lot of my consulting friends were against. I'm okay with it because it was inexpensive and people got to experiment. And that's how they found out what worked or what didn't work, right? So I think what you're going to see here is, I think you're going to see companies allowing pockets where people could get to dabble with this. It might be in IT just because IT likes to dabble with cool new tech, but I think you see more and more in like functional areas or process areas. You'll see it in the contact center. You'll see it in HR. You'll see the marketing department doing the research department doing it. There are things that you could do now that are unbelievable. Meaning if I told you and you were not in this field and I said, hey, you should take maybe two weeks to develop even a basic website and you could do it now like in 30 minutes. Like you wouldn't believe me. You could do 30 minutes, it's free. It's like insane. There's tech out there that could do that. You could take a hundred page white paper. And if you have a meeting, Michael, in two hours, you could just run it through and just say, let me just have one page summary. And then you say, you know what? Let me have a half a page summary, five bullets. Let me have three pages and include a few diagrams. You just, it's, it's a force multiplier. If you think of what could be done now. And it's also, we're all reading the same articles, but it's creeping its way into its software development now. So there are things, one of my developers mentioned that there was a project he was working on that normally would have taken him two or three weeks. He said he did it in a day. So now, by the way, so that's good for some people. If you're on the buy side, that's good. If you're on the sell side, you, and there are many on the sell side, right? Providing those types of services, you really need to rethink your business model. So I think you'll see a lot of static and disruption there for sure. I would imagine. So as you, as you gaze into your crystal ball, like you said, you're very well read when it comes to the industry, as well as the folks that you circulate with, what do you see as coming next in this whole AI revolution? The tough question at the end, huh? Let's see. Definitely the autonomous agent is going to steal the show. I think where it gets interesting and exciting is this kind of the, this convergence of this advanced generative AI and immersive tech. I'm sorry, immersive tech or VR. Nobody's using the M word anymore. They don't like the metaverse word, but AR, VR, mixed reality. I think that becomes really exciting. And my sense is, as we get to the second half of this year, based on what I hear and investments that are being made by Meta and Apple, and then some lesser known up and comers, I th think that becomes, that becomes a big deal because it's just so experiential. You don't need to be in the industry to suddenly get pulled into this immersive environment. That's, uh, and have a surreal and awesome experience shopping, whatever it may be. Right. So I think that's big, but I also think you'll start to see shakeup. I just think is going to be, so it's, it's going to be like the best of times and the worst of times, I think, as we approach the back end of this year. So you're going to see, I call it a power shift. There's just going to be a lot of big players that are very labor centric, that are going to be slow to move, that are going to begin to struggle and possibly be toppled. And then you're going to see very agile, small, medium-sized players where the differentiator used to be labor, right? It used to be your company has a hundred thousand people. I only have a thousand. That may not matter. I got that dimmer switch, remember? So I could just start cranking that sucker up and suddenly it's less of an issue. So you're going to need less people, which is going to be tough for you to pull off. It's just going to be waves of layoffs and rifts, if you will. 
if I need more and I'm a digitally native or even better AI native company, we're going to be all cool in the gang, man. It's just going to be like, let's go rock and roll, expand, modify. You're going to have digital labor. It's going to be fine. And then the last thing I think is just with the election and I've published this, this will be the first election where I think there's going to be a lot of deep fake on all sides. And no, it's, it, this will be the first time where I think back in the nineties, I'll show my age here. And the, the first desert storm war is like everybody suddenly and, and CNN was put on the map. Suddenly everybody started to get the concept of, I'm really going to sound old to the 29 year olds listening to this, but uh, suddenly you say, you know what? 24 hour news, this kind of makes sense. Before then, it was like this kooky thing. I don't know. They don't have enough to talk about. 24 hours. Used to get it one hour a day, right? I think what he's going to start to see as a result of this, this presidential election here and then in other areas, other key elections, you're going to start to see the wacky, surreal stuff, which is damaging, kooky, again, surreal. And you don't know videos, audio, articles. You just, just no one will know. No one will know what's real or not. So I think we'll see that as well. So I think it's going to be, as I mentioned in my, my end of year post predicting 2024, I think this year will be, I referred to the title of that movie, everything, everywhere, all at once. That's, that, that's, as we get to the second half of this year, it's going to be a wild ride. So definitely fast your seatbelt. That's a good advice there. And speaking of advice, you mentioned your experience. What would you tell those 29-year-olds now as they're preparing for their career that's ahead of them? The, if, the options for careers will change dramatically. So I would say is do your research, do your homework, understand where this is, realize that the job you have now may not be needed in 24 months, maybe in 12 months, but let's be realistic or conservative in 24 months. And for most of the young people I'm speaking with, that more of them are attracted than nervous about it because I'm not sure how many are, are delighted with their current role. I would also say that uh, if you're not happy with the concept of having a J-O-B with a big company and that's your biggest nightmare, then, then here's your opportunity. Start a side hustle. You can do it. You don't need a VC. You don't need a million bucks. Just uh, go into your piggy bank and you get started with, with lunch money. So any, anybody could be an AI creator. Anybody could be an inventor. Almost anybody can launch a business and you can launch it at such a low cost at such a high speed that you could just continue to experiment. You could take a shot in the first quarter, January, February, March and say, oh, that was not working. Okay. Go out again. Try it. You could just, it's like rapid prototyping and just experimenting. You could do that with generative AI. You couldn't do that in the old days. You couldn't do that two years ago. You need big money, an investor, two or three, a SWAT team of AI experts. And six or eight months into this, you're either going to start feeling good or start to say, oh, I think this might be a mistake. <laughs> Let's see what happens. But we're on the train. Let's stick it out. See if this thing takes us to the promised land or just flies off a cliff. So I think it's going to be very exciting for those who like adventure or ambitious thrive on the art of the possible and what could be. For those that are not in that zone and I have empathy for them, it might be a little scary. It might be trying times. Yeah. The times, they are a change. And, uh, but thank you for your vision that you're bringing forth here, but also the inspiration because basically take, taking your own future in your own hands now with all these possibilities and uh, things that we couldn't do, like I said, just even a couple of years back. So I appreciate you giving us your thoughts on this thing and as well as 
and inspiring our group for the future. So thanks for being with us today. I was looking forward to this discussion, Michael. Thank you so much. And I hope to speak to you again soon. You take care. Thanks for tuning in to Transform Now. For more insightful discussions on digital transformation and more, check out our podcast channel where you'll find all of our previous episodes. And to make sure you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast player. And if you like what you've heard, please leave us a review. For more information about digital transformation and the future of work, check out blueprism.com to learn how SSNC Blue Prism's digital workforce is enabling enterprise transformation now.